1: Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to the Our World Cup Series on the 90min platform, the podcast in which we look back on some of the most recent tournaments and share our fond memories. And on this edition, we're going to be focusing on France 98, my first World Cup personally, and one that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Joining me to reminisce, our first up, Grizz Khan, how are you?
0: I'm not too bad, my friend. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, what a memory it was as well. I, I remember this one massively massively for a number of reasons which we'll probably get into but yeah looking forward to it
1: fantastic competition it was also joining us scott saunders how are you
2: i'm well thanks i just wanted to ask chris uh, is this where age is exposed in terms of <laughs> <laughs> what, only you what's ask. your first <laughs> world cup mem- we, we have this conversation quite regularly actually and like 98 was my first as well
0: and, Nin- uh, 98 was my not first so, okay, that's a clue, <laughs> but but in terms of memorable, like the most, you know, like where you can reminisce and remember the most, it was probably 98 for sure.
1: Brilliant. And also joining us is the creator of the series, uh, Jack Gallagher, the man behind it all, the brains behind the, the concept. How are you?
3: I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much. Um, so this is, I think, the first workup that I was alive for. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me sad. I remember. Yeah, I was I was born during the nineteen ninety four World Cup, but this is the first club Cup where I could like walk and talk and stuff like that. Didn't really know what football was, but I found out eventually, and that's why I'm here. Brilliant stuff. Uh, Jack, great to have
1: you, mate, and uh, and thank you for putting together this incredible series. Uh, Let's kind of set the scene in terms of the general landscape. At the time, Bill Clinton was the US president. Tony Blair was the prime minister here in the UK. The Good Friday Agreement was signed on the 10th of April. The Truman Show, remember that, was the number one movie in the world. Uh, Badil and Skinner and the Lightning Seeds had the number one song in the UK with three lions. Was it better than the original?
2: Can I kind of hate all Harry, of Harry, you're speaking to a Welshman <laughs> and an Irishman here. Uh, who, to be fair, when I was a kid, I didn't mind it too much. Uh, but when you hear it, twenty odd years later, <laughs> over and over and over again, uh, it's, it's a it's a good song for if you're an England fan.
0: So, it's out, out cool. of all the landscape moments that you've mentioned, this one was the most. Memorable yeah. for me <laughs> so, so yeah for me uh, I remember it vividly uh, In terms of yeah The Badoo and Skinner song um, Loved it It's a right bit of laugh Yeah it's a bit of banner cool. After a
1: few beers But that's well, about it um, There's not beer in the world For me to sing that <laughs> song <laughs> in terms of the football landscape at the time uh, Real Madrid had beaten Juventus 1-0 in the Champions League final Predrak Miatovic with the goal that was Los Blancos' first title since 1966 in terms of the domestic picture Arsenal won the double cracking season Uh, Dennis Bergkamp won player uh, PFA player of the year Dion Dublin Michael Owen and Chris Sutton joint golden boot winners. Man, that takes me back. Uh, In Serie A, Juventus were the champions. Uh, Brazilian Ronaldo scored 25 goals as Inter finished second, while Oliver Bierhoff uh, led the way in terms of uh, the uh, golden boot in Italy with 27 goals. Udinese finishing in third. And of course in La Liga, Rivaldo starred as Barcelona won it with Cristian Vieri uh, as the top scorer, scoring 27 goals for Atletico Madrid with Real Madrid finishing only third um quickly just guys what age were you at this world cup so we know jack was four
2: four yeah four scott yeah so i was 1989 so what's, i think it was obviously before my birthday I'm, I'm late july as well so what was i eight years old about to nine or something like that uh i this was the first world cup that i our first tournament i remember was year 96 um, and that was the first one I really got into obviously I've lived through other World Cups previously but this one was the everything about it of being in France the theme music for the, the BBC uh, that, that's actually my favourite I, I share that on Twitter now and again uh, just it kind of lives with me, with me to this day now this is uh, my favourite tournament or one of them probably just for the it, you have, it, a lot of things resonate with you, don't they? Depending on what age you are and how you remember things, So I think this one was right up there for me.
1: Grizz, how old are you? This so, breakup? so for me, if I'm you gonna, want to reveal,
0: so for me, I'd say um, very early. In fact, I was probably twenty around around twenty one. The reason why it re- resonates with me completely was, was, it was the year I started my 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 own business, and so therefore I spent a lot of time. And when you open up a new business. It takes time to get busy, right? Yeah. And so when you're not busy, what do you do? You watch the World Cup in your <laughs> spare time. And I spent a lot of time watching this. I was truly invested in this and, and, and one of the reasons was me and Jack were speaking earlier about those adverts. Have you guys forgotten the the, the Nike adverts around the you know, leading up to this World Cup and They were magnificent. There was Brazilian footballers in the airports and everything. And uh, fair to say, me and my mates did try to uh, recreate that once or twice, but uh, not to the same effect.
1: I was seven years old when this World Cup came around. And the thing I always remember about it was, I remember two things. One, I remember coming home from school and playing football in the road with my neighbours and pretending we were playing in the World Cup. And the other thing I remember was that my mum wouldn't let me stay up and watch the second halves. Of the night games, really, and it was so annoying. And I used to just go to my bedroom and watch it anyway. Discipline, Harry. And this I is remember, why Harry
0: is like, never late.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, she used to say like, she used to say like, "Oh, you can watch the first half and then go to bed." And it was like, "Well, what's the point in that? I might as well watch none of it then." If you're not going to let me watch the second half, and I always remember, I used to go up to my room and I used to watch the second half with the volume really low. And one time I got caught, and my mom sent my dad. To come up and tell me off, he obviously is a massive football fan. Opened the door and said, "Just turn the volume down one notch," and, and I won't say anything, and that was it. So I will always remember that World Cup uh, for that. But obviously, as you mentioned, guys, it was hosted in France, uh, cracking place to have a World Cup. You know, um, obviously we know what happened in the end as well, uh, which made it even better for the host nation. But Scott, you've been to France for a major tournament, so you're probably best place to talk about probably what the mood was like. I know it was a different tournament, but how does a, a football country like france kind of build up for something like this and and how do you feel when you go there
2: there's a festival isn't it i think that's i think that's the most in yeah that's the big thing to take away and there's obviously with tournaments coming up like obviously qatar is first and we've had russia previously but the next euros in germany the, ne- the next world cup after that is in the u.s and i think u.s canada and mexico and all of these like traditional footballing history nations with football embedded into their culture and into their way of living and this kind of thing. Everybody embraces it. And obviously I went to Euro 2016 with Wales uh, to watch it. And it just, you can feel it on the streets. You can feel it walking around the streets are jam packed with cars, you know, and just, you see fans, uh, I, I, you, <laughs> Jack has his own stories. Yeah, I know some of the stories <laughs> that Jack has from fans as well. I don't know whether you want to get into them, but it's just, Fans everywhere, you know, drinking culture's a thing, but take take away all of the trouble that sometimes comes with a, a small group of fans. Everyone's just there for a good time. They want to enjoy the fact that they're at a tournament, and I think that kind of really resonates, And especially in football and nations like that.
3: Yeah, so I was there following Ireland around as well, and I think I'm the same as Scott as well. You know ireland and Wales don't really get any tournaments that much so when we get the opportunity to go to a tournament amazing and the fact that it was in france and it's like basically on our doorstep made it even better and more accessible and yeah just it was one of those things like you said it's the atmosphere is incredible i think it really helped the fact that you know a lot of people like us and stuff and that uh, euros was extended at that time is that like you have a lot of nations coming to the tournament they're just kind of happy to be there like if we have a good result amazing but it's not the end of the world like i remember going to the belgium game in where was it bordeaux ireland got played off the park bit 4-0 it was awful and that ended up being one of the best nights out i've ever <laughs> had in my life because it was just brilliant i we went down this alleyway really dark alleyway could hear like really loud singing from like a way down the bottom of the alleyway walked down opened up in this big street and the one irish bar in bordeaux had a band on the roof of the bar playing like bloody you two or the Beatles or whatever, but <laughs> came up and played in the roof. We had that, and there was uh, draft beer all round the streets and all. It was just brilliant. Like and like, that's the sort of thing you get in a place like France. And what we'll miss this year in guitar is that atmosphere, the ability to like go out with all your mates and just have a yeah. great night regardless of results. It's all about being
2: there with your friends. Of course, yeah, Scotland absolutely. with the team. Obviously, we've got Ireland and Wales who are there, or who have been there at recent tournaments. Uh, I think this was. Was this Scotland's last appearance at a World Cup and last appearance at a tournament prior to the Euros last time out as well? Yeah,
1: and they finished rock bottom of their group, yeah. although they were in Brazil's group, to be fair. Um, just quickly, sort of pre-tournament expectations is something I just want to touch on. Um, obviously, Brazil were the favourites at 5-1. to one. Germany were up there as they always are. France were 8-1, to one, eventual winners in the end. Bulgaria, Netherlands, Romania, Russia, and England were all at 20 to 1. If somebody told you now, Griz, that the odds for Romania to win a World Cup would be the same as England, what would you say to that? It just goes to show what a special group they had at the time. That's one of my memories.
0: Absolutely. Exactly what I was going to say. One of the memories was that era of the Haji, the Popescu, the Dimitrescu, wasn't Mm. it, of this world. Uh, I'm surprised, actually, or unless memory is failing me, obviously... Because Croatia were an emerging force in that era, weren't they? The Davosukers of this world. Uh, so yeah, look again, you mentioned Bulgaria, that was the Stoichkov era, wasn't it? Um, and so therefore they, they were quite, not highly fancied obviously, but sort of in terms of the, the possibles under, behind the, 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 the Brazils and the Germanys. Um, all I remember going into it was, who's going to stop Brazil? Um, in terms of favourites, that was it, wasn't it? Who is going to stop this Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Bebeto and all these characters? And um, well, we know who stopped
1: them. Yeah, we do. Not spoilers, Grizz. We can't give spoilers. <laughs> <I'm> oh <down. laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, look, I mentioned Romania there because they were in England's group as well. They famously yeah. all bleached their hair, didn't they? Do you remember that? Um,
0: Why did they do that? I can't remember. Was it? Was, that. Just a bit of, was a bit it, there, was, was there a reason for the bleached hair? Well, they had a what? yellow
1: kit, didn't they? So I guess they felt that. It was just something that would make them stand out.
0: Uh, yeah, there must... I think there was an, an incident or something that sort of inspired them to go all... Uh, but yeah, uh, a commentator's nightmare, probably. <laughs> at the the time. Can you imagine that?
1: Oh, man, that must have been absolute hell um, for the commentators to, to deal with that.
0: <laughs> how, how would you have coped with that, Harry? Like in terms of So how,
1: I would have sat there and, and tried to make different notes. So what I do now when I go to games and I don't really know the team so I do quite a lot of EFL stuff and and I'm not very clued up with all the players I'll watch the warm up and I'll look at things like the number 6 has got Yellow boots, yeah, or red boots, or and try and find other distinguishing characters. Yeah. That's the only way you can do it, I think. And, and whoever did the games in '98, probably
0: '98, they all wore black boots as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, imagine. Um, just quickly, sort of running through the groups. Some of the highlights, obviously, Brazil uh, won their group uh, ahead of Norway, who also progressed. Italy finished top of their group. Uh, Vieri was was in fine form, and obviously, Baggio kind of put the 94 uh, penalty miss out of his mind by scoring against Chile. Italy were always one of those teams, and n- not so much nowadays. I know they won the Euros recently, but at World Cups, Scott, they're a big part of World Cup football heritage, shall we call it.
2: I'm very disappointed that they can't, or they will not be in Qatar. Um, I don't know if you guys know, I actually, can, I actually know the Italian national anthem. Wow! wow. <laughs>
1: Go on, give us a verse. Uh, oh no! <laughs> Come on! Uh, Come on! Keep, keep
2: an eye on our social channels over the over the course of the next World Cup coming up. <laughs> uh, I think. Oh, what's the story behind that? I just always liked it. I, oh, you just learned it. it out like, as well. Italian football for me, I know. I, I don't watch as much of it nowadays as say Harry or Jack do, but that league for me growing up was. This was probably one of the first times, like with the World Cups, when you're young as well, you get exposure to all of these famous names that in in those days you couldn't really watch you know i think maybe italian football was the the exception to the rule given we had like uh gazetta football italia and this kind of thing when we were younger um but the italian team they always just i, I love the the color of the kit for example i love the passion that they, the way that they sing their anthem I love the actual anthem itself. And it just so happened that over the years, I've just thought, wow, I like this so much, I'm going to actually try and learn the words. So I actually did. uh, Amazing. Maybe it's not one, you don't want to hear me singing down a podcast, do you? Um, But, you know. I do, I do. do do. (laughs) No, I I actually don't. Oh, you don't. Thanks, thanks, Chris. I actually don't. (laughs) But it's just all all of the quality players that Italy had as well. They just uh, really, I know that their football isn't, uh, you know technically the the most exciting attractive stuff down the years but just something connected to me to that Italy team uh, and it t- stuck with me through the tournaments because obviously Wales were never there so I needed a team to support as well so Italy I get Italy it was I get it place.
0: especially you being obviously Welsh and and so I get the the relation to the passion of the national anthem the t- togetherness the unity I get it I get why you would be a uh, in Italian, sort of as your, sec- as your second team.
2: Yeah, Jack obviously the most, uh, the biggest Baggio fan. I think I've ever come across <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I backed him three seconds. Then I think I
3: put him like, what was it like sixth or seventh greatest footballers of all time? Oh my god! And yeah. like, you know, probably wrong. <laughs> 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 probably, you know, probably, probably wrong. But still, <laughs> I backed him. Backed him all the way. Yeah. So this is like his. Like beckon penalty against Argentina moment so it is for a better redemption obviously you can never write the wrong of what happened in, in 1994 but it's just some sort of thing extra for him but like what you were saying about um yeah like the Italian teams they were never like on like that fun to watch or whatever but they always had like a number 10 who you yeah, always gravitate yeah. towards and at this time I love Totti for example yeah like, Totty yeah. was mine yeah. my boy was Del Piero, so he was he was my guy, but like that's the thing like you had him play at the same time as Totti, you had Zula at the same time, you had Baggio, you had Mancini. I was just gonna and say
0: he- I was good. You glad you mentioned Mancini because he was coming through at that time, or I don't know if he was coming to the end. I can't remember exactly what stage he was at his career, but I remember Mancini as well. And of course, like you mentioned, some great number tens there. And then they had the great Christian Vieri, like sort of as their focal point. So that was quite an iconic sort of Italian team you're
1: right. Who's your kind of team that the streets will never forget from this tournament? Because I've got really vivid memories of pretending I played for Chile. And I I don't, I I couldn't tell you why. I think it was Salas and Zamorano. You had Salas and
2: Zamorano, yeah, and Zamorano had the one plus eight on the back of his shirt. And <laughs> yeah. you'd, you'd see that because Ronaldo would take a nine, right at Inter. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that kind of thing resonates with you as well. And Lazio back then, went with Salas, I think were bloody brilliant as well. I think that they, you know, they played against United in a in a game and beat. Them. I think Marcelo Salas scored twice. I, I, I'm going to might be a little bit of a hole or two in that but I'm pretty sure that he was one of the form strikers in the league and one thing I do remember actually Marcelo Salas went to Wembley and scored a goal as well against England didn't he he yeah, wasn't he was. in this tournament obviously but he has he was around about the one of the best strikers in the world at the time and oh, I yeah. thought there was for a chance sure. that United would sign
0: him for sure for me it was so clear for me it was Croatia wow Robert Prosinecki and Davos I mean two ended of- up
1: being picked up by Arsenal it, after that so we went, Devo
0: Who? Devosuke Devo was it after? Yeah, that? Yeah, 1999. He oh, joined wow. Arsenal. I just thought I was a massive fan of Prosenecy in that area as well. Um, which, which Italian team did he join? Oh my, my memory's gone. Can you can you
1: ever? Uh, because
0: he jo- I'm sure he joined uh, an Italian team. I'm not sure on the basis of that or after that. But but Prozinecki and Devo suke what an elite finisher! I thought he's underrated. The guy didn't wasn't blessed with pace, or of overly physical attributes that you'd say stand out but yet the intelligence, the game intelligence of Davosuke was on another level for me and Proseneki was so famous for his What's that move called, Scott? When you just roll over the ball, like with your like—is there a move, name for it? I don't you know.
2: You ask me like I'm some kind of technical. Yeah, you're a tactico in
0: these days, like <laughs> merchant, aren't you? <laughs> don't know a football glossary. Yeah. but there's but that but that rollover of the foot that he used to do. are oh, fantastic! So me, Streets, will never forget that Croatia team. Scott, anyone stand out for you? I, I
2: just there's a I think the Nigeria team actually. The, the, mm. One of the games that sticks out for me was. Was it Sunday Elise who banged in the goal from the edge of the box against Spain? I, I, that was either a, I think that was a 3-2 win or a 3-all draw or something like this. And I just remember that game and thinking, I don't really know any of these players given... I knew some from the Spanish team and that kind of thing. But this is the first time I'm really seeing the world... And Nigeria had a team of players at the time that... You know, JJ Okocha, Toreba West... Uh, just massively fun and i think that game was one of the early early group games that really caught my eye so that was i'll probably go with nigeria guys can
0: i give you a bit of fun fact about that nigerian team and that you've mentioned sunday lisa which was an absolute stunning stephen gerrard type olympiakos type goal um sunday lisa's son plays in the premier league anybody know
3: who oh lisa plays for palace oh yeah there you go i never joined that together there you go
1: yeah, I yeah, have no yeah, idea yeah. about that. There, there you go, go. You learn something every day. Well, you mentioned that group, uh, Scott. Spain were knocked out. Um, they finished third in that group. Um, so the the teams that progressed to the round of sixteen were Italy, Norway, Brazil, Chile, France, Paraguay, Nigeria, Denmark, Germany, Mexico, Netherlands, former Yugoslavia, uh, former Republic of Yugoslavia. What a strong team that was prior to the breakup of all those nations. If you think about it now, Croatia was involved in that. There's, there's so many teams, and, and you know, imagine what a force they would be if that was still a thing. Um, Romania, Croatia, and then Argentina and England.
2: Yeah, we met. we do have to touch on England, we don't do. me, To be fair, because growing up as a United fan, David Beckham was my guy, <laughs> and obviously, David Beckham in this tournament had quite the uh, roller coaster. I think this was the tournament where Beckham had just broken in like two years before into the England team, was starting to get that bit of fame, was starting to score goals and become the David Beckham that we all know, the the ability that he had on the ball from set pieces, from free kicks and this kind of thing. And then, am I right in saying that he didn't actually start the tournament? And then I think England played, was it, Colombia? Yeah, he scored a free kick. He played Colombia in, uh, that was the game he got his chance in. And I remember there being, I was, I like David Beckham. I was disappointed he wasn't playing because I was at that age and he got his chance that day and scored a free kick, an absolute peach of a free kick went up to the fans and just cut his ears. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that was the, that was the, or he, yeah, he kind of like squatted down a little bit and, you know, uh, just showed how much it mean. Showed how much it meant to himself and to the England fans. Obviously, we'll get into the tournament that David Beckham had in a little bit now as we move on. But I think, yeah, uh, that was David Beckham's one of my favourite players of all time. and you know? I was a little bit, I was rooting for him even though, you know, Welsh lad, England fa- non fan. <laughs> yeah, surprised you admitted that. Um,
1: we can't move on from that game that you just referenced without talking about Carlos Valderrama's hair. Best hair ever at a World Cup.
3: Terry will ask you wrong yeah, as well at this tournament, true. doesn't
1: he? I don't know. I felt like Valderrama had, had, had that volume.
0: volume. I'm going volume. with Valderrama just <laughs> for the volume effect.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's got to be. Um, let's, let's go a little bit deeper into that Argentina uh, and England clash. Obviously, it finished 2 2, and England were beaten on pens. And, you know, there was the whole David Beckham red card, and there was the fallout that followed, which I thought was really harsh. Like, uh, Scott, you were a United fan you would have seen it firsthand. You'd have watched sort of David Beckham having to deal with that when coming back to play for his Club. What do you kind of remember of that time?
2: I remember the effigy set on fire uh, on the fronts of the newspapers and stuff. Uh, obviously, I watched that game, and even then, as my understanding of football was blossoming, it wasn't really all there yet. You could see the game change, and you could see the diff- the, this moment had absolutely changed the not only the complexion of the game and the way that the game was playing out but potentially the way that his career would turn uh, because I remember like, the commentary it was obviously it was, a, it was a silly thing to do against Diego Simeone uh, still, you could see it on his face though that still he knew, housing all the way back then he, he knew straight away that oh my god this is a moment that if this doesn't go my way I'm going to get absolutely killed here and that that's the big thing that I remember, and that's the first time I remember just how bad the press can jump on a player's back. Mm-hmm. And I think, if anything, as a United fan and the way that United fans welcomed him back to Old Trafford, I think Alex Ferguson gave him a call after after the game uh, just to say, "Don't worry, son. Like, you know, we've got you. We'll welcome you back." They needed to protect him. The United fans protected him, but he was getting booed at every single ground he was he was playing at for the season after i feel like that's not something that would happen now i think because back then you didn't
3: have social media and not as many people had like platforms to put out their voices and their opinions you kind of like you had like papers like the sun and these are not back then that kind of like set the the, the public opinion across the country so once they did something about it then it just rides everyone up in that same way whereas now you have things that happen like that where you've seen with pakao saka for example when he must have penalty at the final year twenty twenty. Like there was racial abuse for that and it was terrible. Yeah. But you know, that was quickly like stomped out by people. Yeah. I think um like you get both see, sides now, don't you? Exactly, you back get then, both you sides. Did. Yeah, which is yeah, the problem. But you uh,
0: could but you could say that was the m- like when I say the making of Beckham I mean, in terms of the mental
3: Oh yeah. Sort of
0: needing to just like Get over that and further his career, and him, and become an even bigger star from that. So you know, absolutely fair play, and that's sometimes not spoken about in terms of Beckham. You know what he had to go through at that stage. You're right; he was very young, wasn't he? UCL, I think he was like, only about yeah tw- uh, early 20s, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah.
2: So magnificent. You think of somebody at 23 nowadays. You talk about like Darwin Nunes, for example, at Liverpool. Like he's come in and has a big price on him, 22, 23 years old, and he's getting a lot of stick for. Not yep. being all there, but he's still 23, so you can imagine all of the scope that Beckham had at the time. Because Absolutely. not only with the type of player that he was, the profile off the pitch played into that profile of him sure. as well. Sure, did. So it probably worked against him in that sense. Um, but yeah, obviously, it was a making of the make another man and make another player as well. Uh, the way he reacted with the rest of his career. Um, but that, that game was one of the most one of the most famous games, probably in. England have a game at every tournament that everyone remembers but obviously there's a Michael Owen goal as well and uh, which he was setting as a Liverpool fan back then he just had that amazing season and managed to tear Argentina absolutely to shreds at the age of 18.
0: There was a huge uproar that he wasn't again I think like Beckham wasn't a starting member of the England team huge uproar in terms of he should have started he came on against Came out against Romania, didn't he, as well, and scored a goal equalizer. I think it was at the time, if our memory serves me right. Obviously Romania scored in the last minute. But there was this huge uproar and and yeah, that was the that was the emerging emergence of, of of uh Michael Owen. What a fantastic goal. But even though everyone looked at the glorious Michael Owen, for me I've never rated Roberto Ayala the same again, the way he just I mean, Michael Owen could have done that to anyone, right? I'm being a bit harsh, but so many people rate Roberto Ayala as a great centre back for Argentina. I just thought he
2: was one of the he was one of the greatest. Like, I know, I know, but world. it's just in your
0: memory as that, that, that guy that got like blitzed by Mike Owen. It just stays with me. It is petty. One, one
3: thing that I, <laughs> um, I was rewatching some highlights um, in advance of doing this podcast, and I forgot like just how deep some teams sat at that time absolutely because there's a point there's a point where Mike Long gets a ball like the halfway line yeah he beats a man you're like he's three on goal and then there's two defenders standing on the 18 yard line spawn like, what <laughs> up there.
1: yeah it's always interesting looking back at these tournaments and seeing the evolution of tactics mm. and how the game is played as you mentioned the gaps between the back lines and the midfields back then were, would have been huge whereas nowadays it's all about high press and in order to do that you have to do it can you imagine <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, let's take it on then to the quarterfinals. Uh, Italy met France. France scraped through this on penalties. It definitely wasn't the greatest game in the world. But uh, the thing that Jack's put in the notes, and I think is, it definitely stands out, is the, the quality of the two back fours. Therefore, you can understand why uh, this ended uh, in a goalless draw in normal time. I mean, that French back four, Scott, Turam, Blanc, Desai and Mizarazu, unbelievable.
2: Yeah, and the Italy one as well, Bergamy, Cannavaro, Costa and Maldini. It's just um absolute elite uh players who've long since retired, but you know that they are the players that were fixtures in their teams for, you know, God knows how long. Uh and <laughs> France threw on penalties for this one. Not that I, I don't actually remember this game uh, absolutely perfectly in pinpoint. It's probably because it was a nil nil draw and France went through on penalties. Um but yeah, like those players, and they, they met again at Euro uh, Euro two thousand in the final as well, didn't they? Uh, and obviously, same result for France that day as well. So Italy must have hated the backs of France for <laughs> for a few years after those two games. Uh, yeah, why why
3: I put down those um, back fours is because when I was doing the research, I seen I was watching the highlights of this game. And I was like, God, nothing happened in this game, but I kept seeing this great tackle from Cannavaro or Bergami not getting beat by his man or whatever. And I looked at the back fours and I was like, God, there's there's more. Uh, like war class defenders in those two back fours than there is in the
2: whole of Europe right now so there is like you, you do, you do think not get that, do you think that that's probably a little bit down to the fact that they used to sit so deep it and might that be was, it that might was be, the way that football yeah. was and maybe defenders nowadays have to be like Gary Neville would, like, would say nowadays that he couldn't live with the way that teams play nowadays uh, he was
1: distinctly average to
2: be fair he, he was distinctly average to be fair <laughs> Uh, he'll probably tell you that as well. But he was playing well above his station, thanks to his uh, work rate and his desire and this kind of thing. But I, maybe Not his politics. Maybe that. Maybe that's why uh, defenders nowadays. I think it's that's very a, rare to come across one who's the perfect player.
0: I think that's very, very fair shout. Like in terms of tactically, you're right. If you look at those players—Bergami, Canavaro, Costacurta, Maldini. Maldini aside, they weren't quick at all. Okay, Cannavaro was, was okay, but in terms of, you know, back four goals, I mean, you're not going to get much more solid than that back four. And you're right, that's why it ended nil-nil. I mean, two Ramblon didn't. So Blanc started off. This reminds me, Blanc started off the tournament then as the starting centre back. Did he get an injury then? Because obviously Labouf comes in later on into the into the lineup. So I can't remember now. But yeah, Laurent Blanc, wow, Man United, another link to the Man United. Uh, he, he, well, did he he sign? United
2: are littered with absolute legends. Yeah. But he was, when United picked him up... Washed. He was 2002, 2003. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> they did win the league that season, actually, yeah. I think. Uh, but, yeah, he was... Obviously, the, the, the thing that... I think the thing that everyone remembers from that France team is Fabian Barthez in goal getting kissed on the head by Laurent Blanc. <laughs> right? Yep. That is uh, one of the big things The ritual before at, every, yeah, game ritual every game every game. And then France, obviously no spoilers, went on, went on to do pretty well. Uh, yeah, like that
3: that France team as well, I think it's a really interesting game, that one, um, at Le France, because that France team is basically an Italian team, like so defensive, so solid back four, at Deschamps just ahead of them as the leader in the midfield, and then just heavily relied on the talent of a number 10 up front, which was Zidane, and ultimately because he was so good. They went on to do quite well in the tournament as we'll find out later <laughs> on in this podcast tuned. Yeah,
1: let's, uh, let's take it on a, a little bit further then because um, we talked about the, sort of the quarterfinals uh, some of the quarterfinals that infamously boring quarterfinals oh Harry
2: look, I, I'll, mm. I'll take mm. over here then. Go then so you as an Arsenal fan yep growing up seeing Dennis Bergkamp do bits for Arsenal oh and then obviously this, this goal is obviously one of the greatest World Cup goals of all time but this, it, it still goes around on social media nowadays with the Dutch commentary as well I think it'll, it'll probably go around a bit in the next few weeks as well that goal um, that he scored against Argentina to win it the way he trapped it the way he finished it how, how significant is that an impact on you?
1: Unbelievable like I was very much and I, I still very am a club before country man um, and so you just kind of sit there watching the World Cup and you're you're hoping that all your players do well. And when you see one step up the way Dennis Bergkamp did, you you knew he was quality from watching him at Arsenal. If you remember in that Premier League season, the 97-98, double winning season for Arsenal, there was a hat-trick that Dennis Bergkamp scored at Leicester, oh, yeah. where one of the goals was very similar to this goal that he scored against Argentina. So I wasn't surprised to see his touch it be impeccable, the way he cut back inside and then the finish. But I mean yeah you're right Scott it's one of the iconic world cup moments and I don't know like do we get do we get that as much nowadays like I just I don't know is it just nostalgia that makes you think of these moments and these players as being a level above or or has football changed I don't know
2: I don't really know where a to... generational thing Yeah like I think I think yeah.
3: it's partly that as well but I also think the game's not really set up for a player like Bergkamp anymore like number 10s and second strikers just don't really exist anymore they're kind of more like inside forwards now like your Salas and and your Neymars and Messi as well as an inside forward and it's you don't really have that player that floats in behind and um, gets away with maybe not having the work rate but will always pop up with one or two moments in a game I believe they're called luxury players luxury players yeah you don't get them anymore
1: (laughs) we've got we will talk about Brazil at length in in a moment Um, but before we move on sort of towards the semi-final stage Germany were beaten by three goals to nil By Croatia, and that was Croatia securing their place in the semi-finals in their first ever World Cup. I mean, Grizz you you said that they were your
0: there. You go, your team. Rightly so, I was proved right. eh? Uh, Yeah, what a turn up for the books. I mean, that Germany team was.
1: He was proved right when we're talking about the past. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Listen, you take you take the glory,
2: take the wins, (laughs) take the This Germany team European champions as well. Yeah,
0: but 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 again, from what I remember vaguely it was heavily reliant on sort of your your tall slowest strikers like the Beihof Klinsmanns um there was not much flair in this germany team um obviously the germany team of of these days we 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 speak about a lot quite a few flair players you know the Leroy Sanes and Ozos of the recent past as well but that germany was was pure hard work and effort um and croatia were just a joy to watch they were just the emerging talent from from that part of the world was was so fun to watch, and yeah, Davosuke again. He scored two goals in that game, I believe.
1: I think scored, he scored that third. Sorry,
0: sorry, I beg your pardon. He scored the brilliant third. Yeah, um, comprehensive. No one saw that coming. Germany were very, very strong favourites, but Croatia, as I said, um, really made their mark, especially in this game.
1: Taking it on then to the semi-finals, the, the standout game for me of the tournament, the game that I always remember. When you tell me World Cup '98, the game my mind goes to is Brazil-Netherlands in the semi-final. I don't know why. There were I other was. good games, but there was something it's about the, the
2: yellow versus the orange. Yeah,
1: it was uh, it was amazing, wasn't it? Um, what a game!
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of drama, uh, and you know this was Brazil with obviously ronaldo in the team who he was at 94 only uh one of the one of the team that won that but didn't he was I think he was 17 at the time so this was over the next few years he'd managed to thrust himself into this position of wow this is this is one of the best players of all time that we see and un, like unveiling before our own eyes and he was still only in his early 20s as well at that point um, and this was meant to be his tournament, wasn't it? I think he scored the opening goal uh, in this game. But what was it uh, Patrick clivert equalised in the late on 87th minute or something mm-hmm. like that? I think it says to the notes there. But yeah, uh, Brazil were... I know France were progressing, but I, as I was watching the tournament, and I was thinking, like, oh, this is Brazil's tournament to win. This is Brazil's tournament to win, especially with all of the history, recent history and history they had in winning World Cups as well. I think this is the this is the time where you expected Brazil to really go on and uh, deliver another a consecutive World Cup trophy.
1: Everybody talked about sort of Ronaldo, um, Jack, but you put in the notes Rivaldo as well because at that point in his career he was astonishingly good. Um, You also put in the notes that perhaps he played a little bit too long and it maybe just kind of tarnished his reputation a little bit. But it's easy to kind of get drawn into Ronaldo. And forget that that Brazil team was packed with quality.
3: Yeah, there was like that, really like a four or five year period between like '97 and like 2002, where he was just, and it's. I think it's it's forgettable how good he was because there was just so many great players who played a summer position and doing the same sort of thing as him. But you know, like those times, like he was the best player in Spain at that time. He was the best player in Spain for a few years after that as well. I used to have a like just used to score over at kicks, like just felt like all the time. And it definitely wasn't all the time, but in my <laughs> head, all I remember is just seeing in like 2000, 2001 and all, when I was like, actually like conscious of football, was just him scoring over at kicks from outside the <laughs> box. And I was like, who is this guy scoring over In the last minute kicks? as well. In the last well. minute. All the time. <laughs> Amazing. <Yeah. laughs> um, so it's just, it's one where when you go back over these tournaments, 98, 2002 in particular, you do remember you'd be like, there are players that come out uh, through like research and I'd be like, yeah, he was amazing. Rivaldo was absolutely amazing. But it is that thing of where like he played until he was over forty, like by like two thousand seven, two thousand and eight, he was playing in Olympiacos at that Olympiacos point. Olympiacos legend. Yeah.
0: But can I can I shout out another emerging talent from that Brazil team? I'm not sure if 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 he if he got the world record transfer after this. Denilson. Oh, Denilson. Denilson. Yeah. I mean, he, he like the dribbling merchant. Do you remember the, 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 the clips of him just doing the most quickest step overs you're ever likely to see? Like, even now, I think maybe Cristiano Ronaldo might have sort of no, but then Nelson
2: did them like just whoo, whoo, whoo. imagine the stick he get nowadays. Oh, <laughs> oh God.
1: God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he was good. But Cristiano Ronaldo turned up at Manchester United with a silly haircut as well. Which didn't help yeah. when he was then doing silly stuff to do nothing. You it. look at look so, at Antony now, Antony yeah. nowadays.
2: He does a little uh, little spin on the pitch and gives the ball away okay. because Casemiro couldn't catch it. He gets absolutely killed for it. Imagine uh, but trying was trying to take all the flair out of football. This yeah, a disgrace. I guy. mean that
0: Brazilian team was the the the, the of flares, wasn't it? <laughs> if yeah. if you know what I mean, uh, Babeto. Uh, Rivaldo Ronaldo De Nilsen, trying to fit them all into the team was obviously uh, a task in itself but yeah uh, I remember De Nilsson um, coming on and having an impact in a, in a few games as well
1: that was just I just remember the emergence of De Nilsson the Netherlands have always been a bit of a maybe team and they had a bit of a golden generation at that point well they, they've they always had great teams maybe now nowadays they've kind of dropped off a little bit in terms of actually having m- multiple world class talents but in these days, they were a really strong side and they're just always that nearly team. Heartbreak for them losing on penalties to Brazil in a semi-final. I actually felt for them a bit, Scott, when I, when I was watching that game. And as I say, this is the game I probably remember best. I felt for the Netherlands because they had the quality and it just doesn't happen for them at World Cups. Well, it's, you
2: know, Throwing, I, mean, I don't know whether is that a reputational thing that's come, more, come about more nowadays? Because it was only really 10 years before this, right, that they won Euro 88? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I I think that's probably why they would get into these uh, late stages of tournaments. Uh, obviously, the Van Basten era had ended, uh, but they had a they had quality all over the pitch. You think of, uh, you know, the quality they had in goal. They had like uh, Daily Blint's dad. <laughs> for for anybody who is like relatively new to football nowadays, Daily Blint's dad was better than Daily Blint. Wasn't he, Jack? Yeah, it was. yeah it <laughs> Absolutely was. was, even though uh, Daly like, turned up for Man United in recent years and uh, did his bit, just looked a little bit slow. But that, that Netherlands team, the De Boers, uh, the Vichkas, uh, there's, there's just a ton of uh, amazing quality there. Uh, and, you know, they have been that, that nearly team ever since. And this was probably one of those games, I think, where the fact that they did go out in the, in the way that they did to Brazil, uh, probably started that little uh, thought process in motion. But, you know, De Boer, Zendon, Koku, Mark Overmars, Mark who Overmars, made yeah. me cry that year, Harry. I don't know if you... Oh, with that goal there? at Old Trafford? Yeah. Uh, that, that um, I, I didn't... I never liked Mark Overmars, basically, because he joined Arsenal and he was really bloody good I and mean, he always used to turn <laughs> up against Man United. And I remember watching that 1-0 win at Old Trafford and my parents had just got rid of Sky. <laughs> shocking (laughs) they got rid of sky and i remember i was having i was throwing a tantrum because i couldn't watch it uh and i went on teletext and i just had teletext (laughs) on the screen for the entire game and then you like the page would refresh every few seconds and i was just watching it and then i saw overmars 79 or overmars 78 it was around that minute and that just sent me off completely
1: flick on from nicholas and elka great yes. golf uh, look, at,
2: look at that team yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible team and they're not at that level nowadays ahead of this World Cup but they do have some elite level players and I think I don't know I think they could surprise a few people this time around
3: the thing about this Dutch team and the fact that they had a golden era at this point is like and you, you'll see it with England as well particularly in 2002 it's like it feels like so many different uh, teams had their kind of golden generation at the exact same time so it's like there's just so many and there's so few competitions that you'll look at the England team from 2002 you'll look at the Portugal team from 1980-2002 and you'll be like they underachieved but really when you look at the teams they're playing against and you look at that Brazil team that the Netherlands lost to in that semi-final like their front four was Leonardo uh, Rivaldo Ronaldo and Bebeto and Danielson came (laughs) off the bench like you know these are serious 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 teams and it's one of those things where you look back and be like they underachieved but then you look at the context that they were playing in and be like well you know yeah, what it becomes more, more
1: be understandable done. doesn't yeah. it um, France also made their way through to the final obviously uh, Lillian Turam had only ever sc- has only ever scored twice for France and they were both scored in this game uh, after Davos Suker uh, gave Grace Croatia the lead I, I actually was, was I
0: honestly was I wasn't I wasn't the Zidane fan at that time that I later on became of course, I'm pretty sure a lot were like that but I was very very invested in in that Croatian team for some reason at that time just for the underdog factor maybe probably and just the style of football they were brave in their approach it wasn't it wasn't um, counter-attacking like sort of um, sorry I'm gonna bring up Greece win the Euros oh, that vote, was man. awful but that in wasn't terms even of football did do, do, do you get what I mean like yeah. sort of um, you know counterattacking or or you know sit back Croatia actually tried to control games with with lots of flair and I was I was heartbroken. Shout out
2: Robert Yarney, by the way. He was uh, Unbelievable. he was one yeah. of my
0: favorites. I I, I was heartbroken when uh, France picked them and I, I, from what I remember in the game it wasn't a comfortable deserved sort of stroll in the park. Croatia really put up a game but obviously the momentum, the home support and everything else, you know, it, it was always sort of a tall order.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um obviously the final was between France and Brazil. Um we all know what happened in the end, but this the build up to this game, Scott, was dominated by the Ronaldo situation. It's it's really difficult to kind of you know, find the right words to talk about this because some people said that it was a panic attack. Others said that it was a kind of seizure. I don't know if we still really know what actually do we, happened. Do
2: we know? Jack. Because I, mean, I, I remember the, the speculation of he would swallowed his tongue and he wasn't ready to play. And I see, I remember Des Lynham on the telly talking about Ronaldo and the fact that he was in the team, but he wasn't in the team. And then he all of a sudden turned up on the pitch, and then he was obviously not himself. So it's it was so, it was such a weird thing. I remember not really understanding at the time. So the term that Ronaldo said he had was a convulsion. i not an MD.
3: that's why I'm sitting here so I don't really know what that is but he had a convulsion anyways and what happened was um he did the tests apparently the test came back fine um pre the match Mario Zagallo didn't really want to play him but Ronaldo kind of forced him to play him essentially and then he played and I think during the game then he realized that he actually wasn't ready for it because there's a difference between tests coming back and being fine um to being actually match fit and ready to in a final essentially the
0: most the most revealing for, for me um obviously i i've done a bit of a, a memory jog in terms of trying to work out what ha- actually happened because we obviously we remember the controversy itv bringing out the the team can you imagine the
1: stories that would have come out on twitter had it been around? absolutely
0: then? absolutely but his interview his, i beg your pardon interview with gary lineker don't know if you guys have seen that he, he alludes to the fact that it was a convulsion, and obviously, again, I'm not an expert in that field. Uh, but, but would you guys say that that is one of the most high-profile player power incidents ever? Because the medical team have said no.
2: Is but it, Well, ima- imagine... I get it. Imagine the stick yeah, Zagala but- would have got if in the biggest game... Well, Brazil make a lot of finals, but in the biggest game, to not have your biggest player. I get it. In a relatively unexplained absence. But
0: if you're having these um, symptoms, the symptoms sounded horrific. Mm. Let's not beat around the bush. If you're having them on the morning of the game, like, like that night, you're in no state to be, be an, a, an athlete at the top of your game. It could have. It could have been more serious than it obviously was. Put it this was. way:
1: if that happens today, he doesn't play. He doesn't Honourably. play. He simply no, doesn't no play. Way.
0: That's my yeah. point. So that was the first, probably the or oh, the most sort of iconic player power saying, "I'm playing." Even at that age, he was still young, and he goes up to Mario Zagallo. He says it himself. He says, "Mario tells me I'm not playing." I said to him, "I'm playing." Mm. That that's such a, like a Cristiano Ronaldo thing or Messi <laughs> thing now, isn't it?
3: I think I think one of those things was that as well as. You know, And you can understand it from him being that age as well. Is I can understand him buying into his yeah. own hype at that time because, look, we've very rarely seen a player since or before being as good as Ronaldo was in 1998. It's weird because he was so young, but when he's 23, he, he just had his first season in Italy. And most players that came to Italy around that time would all say what really um, stepped him up uh, from being at Barcelona to being an Inter was the tactical nuances of Italian football. He kind of worked out. He had all the skills, he had all the ability in the world, but he kinda work out how he won in Italy, which a lot of people end up doing. So I can see it from his perspective. Uh, he's like going to the World Cup final, thinking this is the best I have ever felt like in my own game, and my ability. Will it ever happen again? Will I ever get to our final again? And luckily enough, he did in 2002, but I can see it from that perspective. as like not many players get to play the World Cup final. Not many players get to play it too. Uh, so... I can understand from that perspective, it's like, this might be my only chance to play, I'm playing. Sort as, of. as
0: far as footballing tragedies maybe go, I, I think for me personally, that was one of the biggest footballing tragedies. You talk about France 98, and when you asked me about this tournament, for me, the overriding memory wasn't Zidane, wasn't the performances, of Zad, even though he was magnificent in, in a lot of the games, apart from the ones he was suspended in. Um, mm-hmm it was the Ronaldo because for me that would have cemented his legacy as you say Jack because he did go on to win that one and he was by far the best player in the world at this time because we've just mentioned some amazing centre-backs or defenders let's just say of that era and he was in Italy scoring every single week it just shows you the levels of yeah. this guy
1: we've got to give France lots of credit as well because obviously they went on and won the final and, and quite comfortably in the end Scott um, Zinedine Zidane as uh, as uh, Chris mentions, star of the show.
2: Yeah, it came as a bit, as a, as a bit of a surprise to me, obviously, because we'd Brazil, as I mentioned just now, were the team that I think most people were expecting, and France were the I don't want to say the un maybe maybe they were the underdog, and then they had the home advantage. But yeah, this this was the moment where Zidane truly became the world star that everybody knows him to be now and he's just like having seen him and the way his career matured after this and seeing the way he used to just what's the word what's the word you'd use to describe Zinedine Zidane he just, it's not prance or anything like that elegance, ele- elegance it's elegance isn't it the way he played the mercurial. game but I think the mercurial this one though was a bit more of a you know the headers that I remember uh, that he scored uh, and he'd had this tournament for him wasn't always all sweet, was it? I think he got a Yeah, he got a red card. Got a red card. Yeah. Grif-
0: that's not spoken Saudi about
3: maybe. that's not yeah, spoken yeah, about enough. For a the nasty
0: team, stamp so. as well. Yeah. He had that in him. Obviously we see in later uh, years in World Cups or tournaments. That's that a one? proper
2: player though, isn't it? You know, that that is what like
0: But you know you speak about his headers. Yeah. People forget that aspect of him everyone talks about him having one of the greatest touches in football in world football but he was actually a physical specimen he's six foot two or something very good in the air very strong and again watching some of the highlights the way he just stops the ball and watches people tackle him to by stepping on the ball like while they were diving around him he was very very strong and yeah he showed it he had to be strong because I know you've mentioned, we've mentioned some amazing flair players in that Brazil team, but they all had some physical mm-hmm. players in midfield as well. Yeah, Dunga. Dunga and yeah. Cesar Sampaio.
1: Yeah, cracking team. And of course, France lifted the trophy on their own soil, and then of course went on to become European champions as well uh, shortly afterwards, and that was kind of the start of it for them, wasn't it? That World Cup 98 victory over Brazil. Um, guys, thank you so much. It's been uh, a pleasure looking back on a, on a tournament that feels like it was a million years ago now, but it's certainly one that everybody has fond memories of. Uh, Thank you, Grizz. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Jack. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode of the series, which is coming to you very shortly. Cheers. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early,